you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B and J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show today. It is that time of year again. Mm-hmm. It's time to talk our, uh, can we say world famous? <laughs> it, I feel better if we say, we're, okay. Well, okay. You can, you can say it if you want. National that treasure? true? Oh, I'm oh. kidding. <laughs> Wait a minute, Miki, just get Christmas buttons, our AFR Christmas buttons. Um, we've been doing this for so many years, and the Lord has really used um, these buttons to open doors for the gospel. And and this is one of those things where you think, man, surely the Lord is in this because of the opportunities that have um, that have happened for the gospel to be mm. presented just by a question, just by somebody seeing a button and inquiring about that. But this has been happening all across the country, and probably the biggest cheerleader. Uh, for the AFR Christmas button is Brother Jerry Lawson, who um, is the pastor of Enon Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. And uh, not only has he celebrated with us, I mean, just for what the Lord has done through these buttons, mm-hmm. but he's passed them out and he's been a part of some of the testimonies, haven't for you, years. Brother Lawson? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> certainly have uh one of the joys of my life this time of year is to yes. to give out buttons i like giving things away there you go amen 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 and praise god that um that in addition to what you enjoy that that's a joy of the lord as well um because he so loved the world that he gave his son mm. for us that we could be reconciled back to him and so let's talk a little bit about um the significance of the buttons and what you've seen over the years through distributing these buttons. I, one of my favorite things to hear from you is some of these amazing testimonies. I mean, because I think that people think, well, you know, how many times do we really pay attention to buttons? Well, often we do. We pay great attention. And if we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, um, then we can follow inroads for the sharing of the gospel. Well, Jesus is the master teacher. Mm-hmm. And... John chapter 4, it, I am constantly amazed at his approach to the woman at Jacob's well. Hmm. It comes to a person that's just absolutely broken. And uh, here, God himself, and, and he breaks the ice and says, would you give me a drink of water? Mm-hmm. And, and he begins this dialogue with her. And uh, I have used that so many times in my ministry his method of approaching people. I'm a blue-collar minister. I like mm-hmm. one-on-one ministry. I mm-hmm. like to just sit down and talk with people, find out where they're at, affirm them, love them, and mm-hmm. share Jesus with them. And this button is one of the, it's, it's, it's my Jacob's well. It's, it's <laughs> oh, what starts so the dialogue. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's that is a beautiful sentiment. Like I, I just want to stay here just for a second because 
if you think about um, what is sort of like the noise in our culture, Pastor Lawson, like if you think about how it is so difficult, at least in my opinion, and I, I would love to hear your response to this, but I have found that it's more difficult to sort of, um, for lack of a better word, break into people's lives. Like we are all very close these days and everybody's so busy and there's there's a lot of um, clamoring for our attention. So we don't really pay attention to those people who are around us. But this becomes an opportunity for us to kind of step into the person's life in a way, in a way that um, maybe is a little bit easier. You know, sometimes we're like, how do we strike up a conversation with people? Mm -hmm. But when you think of these buttons as that um, woman at the well moment, if you will, um, it becomes easier, doesn't it? It does. And understand, people today are extremely sensitive and very often will prejudge you. So when it comes to breaking the ice and and establishing a dialogue with people, if you think about this, it's like landing an airplane. The approach is so important. If you approach it wrong, you can have a disaster on your hands. Mm-hmm. Mm, Need to good. understand that there is a, a controller that's in charge of everything. And if you'll just (laughs) listen to him and follow his lead, I mean, you can land it safely and you can have a very uh, sincere, honest dialogue with people. But Mm. now if, if people have a closed mind, they're not teachable and Mm. they're not reachable. Mm. Uh, You move on to those people that the Lord has touched their heart and and they have an open mind and, and they want to have a dialogue with you. That's Hmm. right. That's right. I'm just thinking about how practical um, both of the designs for the buttons that AFR is offering these this year. These buttons are so practical in opening doors for the sharing of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Jesus, he came for you. Jesus, our living hope. I mean, you could ask questions or make statements that really, I would say, just open the doors wide for the presentation of the gospel. Uh, Pastor Lawson, can you share how the Lord has used uh, these buttons over the years? Um, You've got some powerful testimonies. Well, it's here, I guess it was two years ago I was up here, and AFR had come out with the wristbands. And you can still get the wristbands here. And uh, so, and I hope I wasn't disrespectful, but I challenged (laughs) uh, Mr. Wildham and Tim when you wear a long sleeve, that wristband, nobody sees it. Yeah. Uh, but when you've got that button on, it's there for everybody to either look at mm-hmm. or to look away. Right. Mm. And when I seek to have a conversation with people, uh, I want those people to give me the permission to talk to them about Jesus. Yes. And that button... Uh, whether people are saved or lost, they see the button, and, and people will ask me about my faith. And when yes. they do, mm. they have opened the door for me to discuss what Jesus Christ means to me. Amen. Uh, totally changed my life. And uh, wow. I'm, I'm probably, as the Apostle Paul once said, uh, he thought he was the most blessed person. I, I think I've been blessed more than he has. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my life has been filled with joy and there's only one source for joy in the universe, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One question that I have, uh, I've run across uh, other Christians who say, 
man, why do y'all care so much about saying Merry Christmas? And like, why is that a big deal? Like, and I mean, have told me like, that's something that we shouldn't even be worried about. What would you say to somebody who says that to you? Or have you ever encountered a negative uh, feedback from the buttons or, or anything like that? Well, I've said that I've passed out thousands of buttons. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I pass out a button, I look at the person and I say, if this button offends you, if Jesus offends you, I will apologize to you and I'll take the button back. And I've passed out thousands and thousands of them, and I've never had one person to give me the button back. Wow. Mm. And so many times the people, uh, they, they're tickled to death to get the button, and they immediately put it on. And I often tell them, look, if I don't see you again down here, I'm going to see you up there in that celestial city. Mm. And they'll just laugh. And uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I enjoy doing that. I don't want to offend anybody. Right, right. And I don't want anybody offending me either. So mm. I'm going to try to, you know, sow what I want to reap. Mm. And if mm-hmm. you sow in love, you're going to reap in love. That's right. If you sow kindness, you're going to reap kindness. Yeah. And there's a lot of hurt, broken people. Mm. And the only thing that's going to heal is the presence of Jesus Christ in Amen. the heart. Amen. 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 So well stated and so powerfully put. And I I know we are here and I'm going to talk logistics here in just a little bit about how our listeners can get buttons and um, be a part of passing those out and praying that the Lord will lead them to the right people at the right time and also praying for the Lord's result, because that's what we want. We want him to lead and guide. And then we want his results. Mm -hmm. Um, Pastor Lawson, I'm just wondering, you know, there's a sense of urgency in America. There's a sense of urgency in the world because the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. I'm wondering how that fuels the way you not only um, pastor, but the way you share Christ out in the community. Can you talk a little bit about um, what is urgent as we talk about the gospel? Well, I don't know exactly how to answer your question. Uh, There's a lot of anxious people out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, But each morning when my wife and I, we get up, we we have our prayer time together. And and we pray for our family. And uh, God is our protector. He Mm -hmm. provides us. He gives us our provisions. uh, And he provides everything necessary for today. And, hey, this may be my last day on earth. If it is, so be it. What's my option? To be in that celestial city on streets of gold with Jesus? Hmm. I have no regrets. So (laughs) even though the world is getting darker, the Bible says that the light will never be overcome by darkness. And I think these buttons shine brighter and brighter the more evil this world we're mm. in gets. Mm. So I think wow. that's the reason why we need all the buttons out there. And you ministers out there, call and get you some buttons and get them to your church members. And uh, you might even end up with some new people in your church. Mm. Oh, that's sweet. Listen, these buttons come in packs of 10 and they are designed to wear and share. You can order in sets of 10. And um, the more you buy, the more you save. That's always a great selling point. So I want to make sure that we get that information out. Um, There are a couple ways that you can order your buttons. You can go to AFA.net and click on the AFA resource tab. So you can go to AFA.net and click on the AFA resource tab. Or you can call 877-927-4917. I'm going to give that number again. 877 
972-927-4917 or you can go online to afa.net and then just click on the resource tab and find the link to be able to purchase the buttons that you want and to be able to give them away. You have two options this year, two button styles, Jesus, he came for you or Jesus, our living hope. I think, Will the Great, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask because I saw your your uh, vest. I think that was last year, the and you had all the different buttons. So I just wanted to know which button is your favorite. Like which <laughs> which one? What does it say? Do you have a favorite? No, I do not. Okay. Uh, it <laughs> like seems child, like it? <laughs> every year at Christmas, those buttons were just designed by God Himself, and I thought that's just the button we need for this year. Uh, I don't have any favorites, but okay. there are some beautiful, beautiful buttons that yeah. I have on that vest. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about this, Pastor Lawson. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering if your love and appreciation for the buttons came before the testimonies that have accompanied the sharing of the buttons. I'm wondering where the passion and the love that you have for this resource of AFAs, I'm wondering where it has come from. Is it because of having experienced some of these incredible testimonies of the gospel going forth as a result of these buttons? When I see the joy in the face of a child that's got that button, uh, they may have gotten a hundred things under that Christmas tree, but they are proud to wear that button. Uh, And yes, I have seen people who have been touched by those buttons that have come back and said, do you possibly have another one of those buttons? And not only that, but with the button, I also have a little track that I like to pass out. Mm. If a person is touched to invite Christ into their heart, then that track will lead them into a relationship with Christ. And uh, Pastor Joseph earlier today, I I so appreciate him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you're out there, and uh, you feel touched or led to invite Christ into your heart, then pray this prayer right now and get in touch with us and let us give you some resources that will lead you in your journey. Pastor Lawson, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us today. You know, we are in a very urgent time. People are dying and we have the truth. We have the good news that Jesus Christ came and was totally sufficient to die on our behalf and then rose again for our justification. Let's get that message out to a world Amen. that is hurting and that is dying. Um, you can go to AFA.net and click on the resource tab and get your Christmas buttons. AFA.net. We're going to grab the break and we'll be right back. You stay right there. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. It's always great to be able to spend this hour with you. We recognize completely that you could be listening to anybody else mm-hmm. and you could spend your hour doing many, many other things, <laughs> but you choose to spend some time with the Addison's and that means so much, so much. Thank you. I'm Miki. And I'm Will and that's Gerard Brooks with Flame. 
All right. Now, let me say this. Usually when we give disclaimers, it's because we're about to discuss a topic that may not be suitable for young listeners. And so we always want to prepare you and, you know, give you some time to occupy them in other places or maybe decide you're going to listen to the podcast podcast a little bit later. Um, I want to give a disclaimer that is a little bit self-serving right now. Okay. This (laughs) disclaimer, (laughs) this disclaimer is for me. Okay. For you? Yes. Here we go. It's. I don't know if you say it's for me, but it's about me. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay? Um, I was never, ever good at math when I was growing up. Me neither. And (laughs) I, (laughs) this is the disclaimer. You're going to see in a minute why this is so important. Okay. Um, I disliked math so much. I would cry. I was frustrated. I didn't understand it. Um, I remember doing math over the phone where we'd have like these study parties over the phone. And and the question was like, we're going to each work the problem. And then you'd say, okay, now what did you get? And then, well, that's not what I got. And then, and just the frustration. And then sort of like the height of my frustration with math came one summer when I had to repeat um, an algebra class. Mm. It was very humbling (laughs) for me because I I will say, I'm only saying this for the sake of this disclaimer. I did well in my other subjects, right? But math was sort of like my Achilles heel. It reminded me that, you know, yeah, you're not, you're not that great, right? And, and so it was really hard. Not until I started um, educating our kids at home and I began, listen, I'm telling you this for a reason. I began to pray and ask the Lord to show me himself in math. That's, that was my prayer. Lord, help me to see you in math. And the reason I prayed that specifically was because I didn't see the use in math mm-hmm. or for math if you were not going to teach math. Like I, so I knew that my attitude had to change if I was going to teach our children, right? Yeah. I knew that it had to change. I, I, so I, I, was began- a little, I was a little worse. I thought it was of the devil. <laughs> so I didn't even pray and ask God. Like, it can't be me. redeemed. Man, it cannot. <laughs> I, thought, I was like, man, this can't be. There's nothing righteous about this. No. <laughs> so, so let me just tell you something in my own little small world, um, as I began to teach our children and as they increased in the subjects and, and increased grade levels, um, the Lord began to show me something about his fixed nature mm. and the immutability of his character. Yeah. And this is very, very basic. And I have found joy in teaching our kids math, even though it doesn't come to me naturally. I find myself um, learning with them and seeing a beauty in math that I was not exposed to in school because it was not taught with God first, right? Like I just learned math because everybody learns math and you just have to, you have to get it and then get on with life. But we have undertaken to do something different. We begin with God. Mm. And so when you begin with God, you see things differently, even the things that become uh, routine or mundane, you see them differently. So having said all of that, during the course of this interview, there may be questions that we explore that are going to be well above me, okay? <laughs> but I'm so fascinated by it that I thought our audience needed to sit in on this back and forth between us. And you're in this too, Will the Great. <laughs> you, you can't just not ask questions, okay? <sighs> Let me just, okay, so now, know, having said all of that, even having fool, said all... <laughs> if he's quiet, you know, you know what I'm saying? We'll be thought wise. Okay. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Dr. Jason Lyle is our guest. And and I'm excited to talk with Dr. Lyle again. He was at our Marriage Family Life Conference earlier this year. Yeah. And what a joy great. it was. Um, oh my goodness, he challenged so many of us, uh, presented so much. I think many of us walked away thinking that we could love math. Um <laughs> 
a little bit more science, just a little <laughs> right, bit more. Right. Okay. Um, but he joins us today. We're going to talk about his book, Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. Mm. And the reason we invited Dr. Lyle on is because we had an opportunity um, several months ago <laughs> yeah, to watch a presentation yeah. of his on the Mandelbrot set yeah. with our 11-year-old. And man, we were just drawn in. I mean, we talk about beholding your God and thinking about the wisdom and the mind of God that he has allowed for us to sort of dip our ladle into that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and come away with a deeper understanding of who he is. That's what we're going to discuss today. So having given that disclaimer, anybody who gets a headache when you talk about math, um, get some <laughs> coffee. All right, just get some <laughs> coffee and get prepared. Let me make proper introductions here. Dr. Jason Lyle is a Christian astrophysicist. They exist. <laughs> Uh, who writes and speaks on various topics relating to science and the defense of the Christian faith. He graduated from Ohio Wesleyan University, where he majored in physics and astronomy and mon mi minored in mathematics. Wow. <laughs> Dr. Lyle. He's also the founder <laughs> of the Bible Science Institute, where he works in full-time apologetics ministry, uh, specializing in the defense of Genesis. He has written numerous books and articles on that topic. And today we're going to talk to him about, among other things, because we'll just kind of follow where the conversation goes, but we're going to talk about fractals and beholding our God and what he has allowed us to know, even through math, even through math, what he's allowed us to know about himself. Dr. Lyle, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Doing, doing well um, <laughs> so far. All right. I just, I just want to say, <laughs> don't, don't ask me any mathematical questions. All right. If we can just go into this with <laughs> with an agreement that we none of us will embarrass the other. OK, like we. we <laughs> so when you give example, <laughs> man, I don't know. OK, that's not convincing. <laughs> when you go through and you start explaining what was discovered, because I watched your presentation on the Mandelbrot set. And you even when you ask basic math questions, you have an audience that's sort of like we don't want to get it wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? So <laughs> I know. Yeah. People so get just, intimidated by math, which is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you understand the people that are beneath you. So here we go. <laughs> Tell us about what God has revealed about himself um, in mathematics. Now, that's a big question, and I'll, I'll trust you to kind of like zero in for us on what your book is about and how we can um, behold our God in mathematics. Well, mathematics, really, if you think about it, it's the logic of numbers. It's how do we think about the relationship between one number and another number? And so we have, you know, different relationships. We have addition where you can say two plus two equals four, or we can have multiplication three times three equals nine and so on. And, and wh why do these rules exist though? Where do they come from? And I would argue that they ultimately stem from the mind of God. The mm -hmm. reason that two plus two equals four is because that's what God has decreed in his mind. That's the way he thinks about numbers. And so when we do math, we're learning to think about numbers in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. And so it's, you're really learning to think in a way that's like the way that God thinks. Now, we can't think exactly like God thinks because he's infinite. We're mm -hmm. finite. But we can think in a way that's consistent with his character. And so when you do math, you're really doing an aspect of theology. You're learning about how mm -hmm. God thinks about numbers. And, you know, I, I think if more students were taught it from that perspective, they'd have a yes. lot more respect for it. And it wouldn't seem so... It wouldn't seem so daunting. It would be like, wow, of course, this is something that we have to reach for a little bit because we're learning about God. We're learning about someone who is, is infinite and is beyond us. 
And it's an honor and a privilege that he has created our minds in a way that we can think in a way that's consistent with his character. We can be rational. That's what it really means to be rational, to think in a way that's consistent with God's character. And mathematics is one aspect of that. And by the way, that's why it works. Uh, that's yes. why we can apply math to the real world. Architects have to know something about math to be able to build the buildings that they built and so on. And, uh, you know, folks at NASA, if you want to build a rocket that goes out into outer space, you better know something about math because that's the way the universe works because the universe is upheld by the same mind that is responsible for math, namely the mind of God. Amen. Now, this is now and this is one of the things that although I, you know, just the reality of navigating math for people like myself who, you know, there are times that we don't get the answer right the first time. So we have to kind of come back and do it again. Um, I was I was talking to my 11 year old and uh, he's working on uh, long division and dividing bigger and bigger numbers. And one of the things that um, he said to me at one point as we were working on these math problems he goes, oh, no, because I was thinking, now he got the answer wrong, okay, Dr. Lyle, he got the answer wrong, mm -hmm. and, and then he goes through telling me um, almost sort of like a defense, a defense for why the answer was wrong, but kind of close. And I said to him, and, and thinking about this, I said, no, no, we are talking about math. So we are talking about what is absolute. Like we, we're not talking about what we think about the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. And there is, if you think about how this applies to our knowledge of God, there is a comfort in that, in the fixed nature and the character of, of God, even reflected in numbers that you, there is an absolute answer. And if you get the wrong answer, you don't rationalize or justify that answer. That tells us something about the character and the nature of God, doesn't it? Oh, it sure, it sure does. And that's one of the reasons why we can have confidence that math will work tomorrow the same way it does today. Mm. Because Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because God does not change. His way of thinking about numbers does not change. His way of upholding the universe doesn't arbitrarily change. He does that for our benefit. And therefore, math will continue to be useful and it will continue to reflect God's character. That explains uh, what we call the invariance of mathematics, the fact that it doesn't change with time. That's rooted in the nature of God. He does not change with time because he's beyond time. He created time. So obviously he's not stuck within it like we are. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so math reflects that. And, and I would argue that only the Christian worldview can make sense of the existence of math and its properties. Why it is that math applies to the physical universe, why it is that it doesn't change with time and so on. Because there are a lot of things in this world that change with time, things that I don't look the same as I looked 20 years ago and, and so on. I mean, things change. And why is it that math doesn't? And, and the answer is because it's rooted in the nature of God. And I would argue that the secularist can't really make sense of that, especially if it's something that human beings created. Because sometimes secularists will say that, oh, no, human beings came up with math. Well, that's impossible to defend because if we came up with it, if it's something we made, then different cultures would have different maths. And they really don't. Now, we can have different mm. notations because that is mm -hmm. something we invented. And so Romans use it, you know, the Roman numerals are different from Arabic numerals and so on. But the mathematical truths like two plus two equals four, those are universal. And that's yes. because they weren't made up by human beings. Those, those truths exist in the mind of God. And because God has revealed himself to us uh, in nature, but more specifically in his word, we can have access to some of God's thoughts and we can build on that through the rationality that God has given us and discover more truths. And so mathematics, it's a wonderful thing. And, and, I, and I realize that, you know, some people find it difficult and some people think, well, it's not very useful. It's, it's extremely useful. Mm -hmm. And it, it is challenging to us because 
we're learning something about the nature of God and by yes. by the very nature of God. Of course, it's going to be something that's a little bit of a stretch for us, but it's wonderful and there's beauty in it. And that's what that's one of the one of one of the things I wanted to bring out. And you mentioned you'd seen my presentation on the Mandelbrot set. When I when I first read about that and started playing around with it, I was amazed that such beauty could be built into numbers by the creator of numbers. And that's yes. something I dare say there is no secularist that can explain that. And I would argue that everybody can appreciate it. Even if you find math difficult, you can still see the beauty in it by examining the kinds of things that, that we look at when we look at the Mandelbrot set, for example. Okay, I want to talk about that. Now, I realize, and, and I'm going to follow your lead on this, Dr. Lyle, because I'm not sure how we can invite our listeners to really get a picture for what is in your book. I mean, it is a stunning book. The images that are in this book, these fractal images, and then even when you talk about the Mandelbrot set, I mean, it's so visually stunning um, that I, I think it's it, it may be somewhat diff difficult for us to capture that in our conversation, mm -hmm. but can we explain the Mandelbrot set, explain what was discovered, and explain how this points to our creator? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so mathematicians, uh, really a century ago and, and a little bit before that, began uh, playing around with, with certain uh, uh, principles where uh, you'd have um, what we call chaos today, not chaos in the sense of just messiness, but chaos in the mathematical sense where a very small change in your starting number affects a huge change in the result. So maybe you, you, you have this little, little formula and you plug the number one into it and maybe the result is zero. But then you plug the number 1.001, which is almost the same as one, but not quite, and you run it through the formula and you get a million and seven, a totally different answer. And that was surprising that you can have just a real small change in the starting position, you run it through the same formula and you get a huge change in the outcome. Hmm. And one of the formulas that they were exploring with, we now call the Mandelbrot set, and it involves running a number through this formula multiple times, and either the result will get really big, it'll be like a million and then a billion and a trillion, or it'll stay kind of small, it'll stay, you know, one or zero or something like that. And you couldn't tell just by looking at the number whether it would belong or whether it would not belong to the set, belonging meaning the number stays small. And so beginning in the 1980s, mathematicians uh, began using computers to explore lots of numbers rapidly, and they made a map to see if there was any pattern to which numbers belong to this little formula, which numbers, when you, when you run them through that formula, they stay small, and which numbers, when you run them through the formula, do not belong, and, and that they get very, very big. And they made a map of the result, a two-dimensional map, and the map was unlike anything anyone was expecting. It's this weird looking shape. It's kind of like a heart shape. And mm -hmm. then it's got circles growing off of it. And then it's got these little wiggly, squiggly lines growing off the sides. It was a very interesting shape. And they found that if you zoomed in on this by, by you know, exploring smaller, smaller, smaller sets of numbers, they found that the shape repeats itself. It's got smaller versions of itself built into it. And they started finding these beautiful structures like spirals and so on. It was really stunning. Man, this is amazing. And and I and I want to talk about um, these images are in the book Fractals and our listeners would be able to see what you're talking about. But they should also um, look up the video where you do a presentation on this, because I think to be able to see this while you're talking about it is just breathtaking. It is it is awe inspiring to when you're looking at this and not to just be looking at this um, 
sort of like a just a detached observation but to be looking at this as a Christian and understanding that you are beholding the work of your God that you are beholding as you said um, the mind of God that we are um, allowed a glimpse or a picture into the mind of God is just it's phenomenal and it's extraordinary to think about when we come back on the other side of the break we want to continue to drill down want to talk about fractals talk about these images and again want to behold our God Dr. Jason Lau back in a minute it's nothing new under the sun. It's nothing new under the sun. The sun makes all things new. The sun makes all things new. It's nothing new under the sun. It's nothing new under the sun. The sun makes all things new. What if mathematicians discovered a secret code embedded in math itself? What would that mean? Suppose that when analyzing certain sets of numbers, we found an amazing work of art embedded in them, far more intricate and complex than any work of man. How would we make sense of such complex beauty and something as simple as numbers? Who put it there? Hmm. That's what we're discussing today. Wow. We are talking to Dr. Jason Lyle, his new book, Fractals, The Secret Code of Creation. Um, my goodness. I Look. <laughs> Math is something that is over my head in some ways. And I probably should stop saying that so much because I look at math differently um, now that I've been teaching it and teaching it from a different worldview. Um, I don't know if people realize this, but when we learned school, if we received a secular education, mm -hmm. uh, well, we learned school when we were in school, if we received a secular education, we learned math from a secular worldview. Um, God was removed from our learning of math, which, I mean, there's got to be error and there's got to be folly in that because what we now know, at least what I now know, is that when we are learning math, that we are taking a peek into the mind of God, that God mm. is revealing something to us about himself. And that's what we're talking about today. We started talking a little bit about the Mandelbrot set, but I want to kind of pull back if we can, Dr. Lyle, I would like to go back um, to the fractal images and, and maybe define that. What are we talking about when we talk about fractals and what kinds of images can our readers expect to see in, in your book? Zoom in on it, you get a smaller version of Do that Do we have shape. Dr. Lyle with us? I'm sorry, you're not hearing me? Yeah, go ahead. Are you hearing me okay? Yes, go ahead. Okay. So a fractal is a, is a shape that, when, when you zoom in on it, you get a smaller version of the original shape. So imagine that we had, uh, imagine if you zoomed in on the Mona Lisa, on a strand of her hair, and you found a smaller picture of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> that would be an example of a fractal. And human beings, we can't, we can't do that very well, but God has built in fractals into uh, these, these plots, like the Mandelbrot set is an example of that. When you zoom in on the Mandelbrot set, you, you find smaller versions of the overall shape. And you also find spirals and other things that repeat infinitely. You can continue to zoom out. You'll find smaller and smaller versions. You can do that for the rest of your life, and you would not have even scratched the surface. So we find beauty, and we find infinite beauty on, on increasingly smaller levels. This is amazing. Now, one of the things, and, and help me communicate this um, properly, and, and, and I want to make sure that I'm saying this right, because this is something that was stunning to me. When we learned um, the number line, we thought about the number line running um, right to left or left to right. But when you start diagramming this and, and breaking this down about this, this hidden code or these, these numbers that we um, don't know exist, can we talk about that just a little bit, that there are numbers that we don't know exist? Well, there are numbers that some people never use. And uh, just, you know, in, in the past, 
the counting numbers were first discovered, one, two, three, four, and then somebody eventually decided maybe zero ought to be included. And that seems strange to some people to have a number that represents nothing. And then, uh, but the thing is, if you do an algebraic operation, if you take, you know, three minus two, you get another counting number, you get one. But what if you take two minus three, you don't get a counting number, you get a negative number. And so people realize that there are, there are numbers to the left of zero on the number line. So the number line is infinite in both directions. And it's not just the integers, people discovered there are numbers in between one and two, you know, like, like three halves, for example. And then they discovered irrational numbers like pi, it's 3.141592, it goes on forever, it's this exact point. There's a, there are other numbers that are not on the number line, but they're still numbers, and these are, these are called imaginary numbers. And I hate that name, because it makes it sound like they don't <laughs> exist. Right. But an imaginary number is a number that when you square it, you multiply it by itself, you get a negative. And, and if you think about it, that's weird because a positive number times a positive number is positive. So imaginary numbers are not positive. A negative number times a negative number is also positive. So imaginary numbers are not negative. And zero times zero is zero. So it's not negative either. So imaginary numbers are not positive, they're not negative, and they're not zero. So how would you put them on the number line? And the, the answer is I would put it somewhere above the number line. Imagine extending a line directly up above zero, that's where you'd put the imaginary numbers. So instead of having a number line, we have a number plane. And the, the, the so-called real numbers, the numbers that we're familiar with, they're, they're right on the, the x-axis. They're right along this number line, extending from left to right, from negative infinity to positive infinity. But there's another set of numbers that goes in the vertical direction, <laughs> sort of above zero and below rather than left and right. So that's a way of thinking about these so-called imaginary numbers. But they do exist. It's just that most people don't have a lot of experience with them, and so they, they feel like they're not real. But it's, it's the same way like when you're a kid and you're first exposed to negative numbers, and you think, well, how can you have, you know, I can see three apples or four apples. How can you have negative three apples? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. But then when you get older, you get a bank account and you suddenly realize negative <laughs> numbers make a lot of sense, don't they? And yeah. so it's the same way with the imaginary numbers. They, they do exist. And, uh, and we can use them, and the, and the Mandelbrot set includes these imaginary numbers, and that's why when we make a map of which numbers belong, it's two-dimensional, because we're not just using the number line, we're using the number plane, we're using the x-axis and the y-axis. And so all the shapes that you'll see in this book, these beautiful works of art, beautiful. they all exist in that number, that number plane, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. I'm wondering if the discovery and, and correct me if I use the wrong words here, but if this discovery, I'm wondering if this in some way confounds the secular scientists. Like when they when they look at this these numbers or this discovery, is this something that causes them to um, have the type of awe and wonder that we as Christians would have? Or is it just another day on the job for them? Well, you know, because we're made in the image of God, when we see artwork of God, we know it's from God. Romans 1 makes that very clear. We look out at the creation, we immediately recognize it as his handiwork. So I do think there's a sense of awe. But the Bible says that those who are resistant to God, those who have not received him as Savior, suppress that truth and unrighteousness, according to Romans 1.18. And so, yes, they know it's from God in their heart of hearts, but they work very hard to convince themselves and others that it's not really from God. And for that reason, sometimes they're even resistant to it. In fact, when these fractal shapes were first discovered, in the 1980s, that, that was the first time in history computers were powerful enough to be able to plot these things relatively quickly. Uh, you, before that, you had to kind of do it by hand or use a calculator, and it takes forever. Mm -hmm. But computers could do it quickly. A lot of people thought, well, maybe this is just a problem in the code. Maybe it's an artifact of the way the computer's working. But 
we now know better. We now, we, mathematicians have demonstrated that these fractals genuinely are built into numbers. And I think it's, it, it's something that should uh, instill in us a sense of awe for our creator who is responsible for the numbers and the mathematical truths between them. We can't take credit for that. No human being decided that two plus two should equal four. That's just the way it is. We discovered that. But it's it, that the person who determines that truth is God. And that's, and that's why the Christian can make sense of these wonderful shapes, because we have a God who has a sense of beauty. He's mm -hmm. built that into his physical universe. And now what we find is he's built it into the universe of math. And so one of the things that I wanted to do in this book, it's, it's, it's not, there's not a lot of math in this book. The first chapter tells you how these shapes, uh, how they came about. But after that, it's just, let's enjoy the beauty of this universe that most people didn't even know about. Nobody knew about it before 1980. That's hmm. right. That's right. Now, I, I, I'm wondering this, Dr. Lyle. So in the beginning, um, we meet God numbering. He's numbering days, you know. Um, we've yes. got evening and morning the first day. So we encounter numbers early on. How do fractals and these hidden numbers, these hidden images, if you, if you will, how does that fit into the creation account? Do we um, suppose that these things existed before, or is this something that is happening in creation? Have, have, have you guys explored that? How do we make sense of that? Well, we think, when we think of God creating things, we think of him creating physical things, the physical universe, the planets, uh, life, the oceans, the plants, and so on, human beings. But God is also responsible for creating anything that's true. And so mathematical truths are something that he's also responsible for in the sense that his mind determines those things. And while, while things like two plus two equal four are not something you can, uh, they're not something, that's not, a, that's not something physical, right? You can't stub your toe on two plus two equals four or pull it out of the refrigerator. <laughs> it's a right. mathematical truth. It's not made up of atoms, hmm. but God's mind is responsible for it. And I would argue since God's mind is eternal, there's an eternality to mathematics that mm. goes beyond the physical universe. Now, we find those mathematical truths reflected in nature. And, and in fact, we find in nature things that approximate fractals, things like snowflakes, for example. When yes. you zoom in on the snowflake under a microscope, it, it, it tends to have that beautiful structure that repeats, not quite infinitely because the snowflake's made of atoms. But nonetheless, uh, we find fractals in nature because the mind of God is what upholds nature. The Bible says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Mm -hmm. And so God's mind, who thinks mathematically, who thinks in terms of beauty, beauty and math, when we look into the physical universe, we see that as well. So that's the connection, is that the same mind that spoke the universe into existence and did so in six days and rested one, is also the mind that's responsible for all mathematical truths. And that's why we see mathematical truths reflected in nature. And by the way, secular humanists have no explanation for that. The uh, mm. physicist Eugene Wigner, uh, brilliant guy, he won a Nobel Prize in physics. I mean, he's no slouch. But from his apparently <laughs> non-Christian worldview, he wrote an article called The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Sciences. And in this article, he explores this, this uh, perplexing mystery to the secularist is why does the universe, the physical universe, obey math? Because math exists mm. in the mind. It's a mental exercise. And yet the universe is not, you know, it's not your mind. How, how, does, your, your, how does the universe <laughs> wow. know what your mind's yes. thinking? Right. Well, right. it doesn't. But God's mind is in control of Amen. the universe. And so from a Christian perspective, I can explain that. But the, the best, brightest secular physicist in the world uh, couldn't come up with an explanation for that from his secular viewpoint. Wow. I got to tell you, you know, as, as we watched your presentation and had, a, a, you know, our, our little... Um, <laughs> 
um, ABC discussion about your presentation is very <laughs> limited. But I, I will tell you, one of the things that fascinated us all was zooming in on these images and how they seem to go on forever. And even as you're zooming in and, and you're um, almost going into these these images, um, you forget where you are and and at the point that you're zooming right. in. And then when and you, you pull draw, back. you yeah. pull back. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It is. It's overwhelming, <laughs> Dr. Lyle. And to think that God is giving us a glimpse of his mind or, or a glimpse of like the eternality of our God. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely overwhelming. And it, it makes you a little just a little bit um, emotional, which you would never think that way when you're studying math, you know what I mean? When, when you think of um, what God has worked um, into what he has created, and I'm wondering if you can comment on some of those things, maybe even the Valley of the Seahorses, if, if you will. Yeah. So there's different areas of the Mandelbrot set that we like to zoom in on because they have these beautiful shapes. Uh, one of the first that I explore in the book is the Valley of the Seahorses. It's between the first, uh, it's, in, it's in that first cusp between the main cardioid and the first disc. In the Mandelbrot set, that first valley that you see, the biggest one, you zoom, you zoom in on it, and you see these little seahorse shapes. They're beautiful. Yeah. They kind of spiral in on them on themselves. And you can zoom in on any one of those spirals. You can zoom in on the center of it forever. You could spend the rest of your life zooming in on that spiral. It never ends. It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that gives us a little taste of, of what infinity is like. And, and, and likewise, you can zoom in on some of these other shapes. There's the Valley of the Double Spirals, which is probably my favorite because they look kind of like spiral galaxies. And as an astronomer, mm. I really like that. So, you, But you zoom in on those and they continue forever. And you can go off to the side and you zoom in on the strands and you see these beautiful shapes like, like confetti or something or, or like a spider web kind of. But, it, but they're beautiful and you zoom in on them and, and they, they continue forever. And we, we human beings, we can't do things like that. I mean, right. we can do it to a certain point. But like I said earlier, you imagine zooming in on the Mona Lisa on a strand of her hair and you see other Mona Lisas and they're all slightly different. <laughs> so, you know, one of them has red hair and another one has curly hair and so on. Oh, it's like, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get an infinite amount of artwork in a, in a finite sized image? And the answer is it's only something God can do. And it's, and it's because of the infinite nature of mathematics, which is a reflection of God's infinite mind. It's so good. I mean, look, we in our own finite minds, like we are amazed by pixels, right? Like, I mean, we're we're like it's you, you, pixels, kind of like whoa. But just imagining this and the depth of this and what God is revealing about Himself is just overwhelming. And I know we only have a little bit of time left, mm -hmm. so there's a couple of things that I want to do, Dr. Lyle. I'm hoping that you can encourage parents who are listening. Um, not only in um, the study and the exploration of mathematics and, and just what God reveals to us about himself, but how we can have the right starting point for all of our disciplines for the glory of God. You know, that's something that I'm very passionate about. In fact, I recently wrote a curriculum to logic that is from a uniquely Christian standpoint, uh, recognizing that logic is thinking in a way that's consistent with the character of God which is why logic doesn't change, right? I mean, a fallacy and error in reasoning, that's an error in reasoning today, will be an error in reasoning tomorrow. There's no doubt mm -hmm. about that because God doesn't change and so on. And so in, the, in this curriculum, I not only teach logic, but I show students that you're thinking, you're learning to think in a way that's consistent with God's character. And mathematics really is just the logic of numbers. And mm -hmm. so you're learning to think in a way that's consistent with God's character. I, I do have to add too, that in this book, only the first chapter uh, discusses any math, and it's very basic. Anybody can understand it. If you're in junior high, you can understand this book. The rest of it is exploring these beautiful shapes and understanding their implications. 
and they're beautiful. They, they are absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for the work that you do for the kingdom. Just real quick, Dr. Lyle, how can our listeners get a copy of the book? They can get it either through our website, biblicalscienceinstitute.com, biblicalscienceinstitute.com, or our, uh, our publisher at Master Books. And I want to say one other thing before we run out of time. Um, our church actually recently went through Dr. Lyle's logic curriculum and mm-hmm. we enjoyed it. We went through it with our kids as a fellowship and it was wonderful. Dr. Lyle, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. We are out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless. <laughs>